Hey guys, welcome to another reoccurring episode on TOT the podcast. This is going to be our Q&A. It's going to be popping up here and there. We've had some people throw in some questions and we're going to be answering them one by one. So question number one, Tristan, what has been the most challenging horse you've ever had in training? It's hard to pick one. I, I thought in the beginning, actually, in Australia, that they were going to be, you know, some of my most challenging years back in Australia, working a lot of thoroughbreds, you know, eventing horses, which are also a lot of thoroughbreds, getting into working wild horses, you know, people going up in helicopters, choosing a horse in the middle of nowhere, eight years old, never seen people, and then having to train him to first be able to exist in our human environment. You know, he doesn't know anything other than being in nature. He's, you know, sometimes you get a, an eight-year-old stallion, never seen people. <laughs> he is, you know, worked his way up through the, through the, the pecking order a real, you know, controlling his domain. And then he comes into a human environment and has to see the value in, um, in working and being with people. And so I thought that they would probably be some of the challenging years. And there's, there's a few horses that in that time were extremely challenging in the fact that I had a job to do. You know, I was a young guy, I was starting my own business and, you know, people wanted certain things done with the horses and so I was just going about getting that job done trying to fit the quota you know if this horse has to be a riding horse for this lady that wasn't super experienced and you know it, it I had to teach the horses to be in control of themselves and actually learn what it was to be a riding horse that when the people made a mistake not if but when they made a mistake the horse could be forgiving in that situation because I knew that the, the, my livelihood depended on it. If I made a mistake on those horses, you know, it traveled really quickly. Then I was just that guy that was an idiot that didn't, didn't know anything and nobody was going to send me horses anymore. So that part of it was challenging in the fact that, you know, I was starting out young. And so just for the pure fact of time, you don't have a great depth of knowledge. So you're running on, you know, your natural instinct. I depended a lot on my natural feel for animals and to be able to get around a horse. You know, you, were, you learn where not to be, how not to get killed. And so I was sort of relying on that. And then as I went along, developing skills and techniques to go with that, that, you know, proven stuff that, that actually made sense to the horse and produced results. But I found out pretty quick when I came to Europe that, you know, some of the horses I, I got here and when, when I remember first being in Denmark and uh, being together with Morton Thompson and very quickly I became that guy and someone would call up and say, I've got this horse with a problem and, and Morton say, oh, well, I've got this guy here. <laughs> And uh, I loved that in the beginning. You know, I was the, the guy that could maybe do something or maybe help. Um, I had purpose. <laughs> and, you know, people ring up and say, I've got this really wild horse. 
and I'd be thinking, oh, waiting for the wild one to turn up and then they would come in the trailer and it would have a pink blanket on and a halter with fluff in and I was thinking, well, oh, I thought you were bringing a wild one. You know, I was waiting for it to jump off the back of the cattle truck and we'd have to race it into the stable, the same as home in Australia. But um, it was not that way, of course, but the horses had much more, you know, especially the horses that were coming from professional stables or horse dealers or traders that were not afraid and they tried many things and they'd been giving it to the guy that was, you were better off taking him to the rodeo because he could sit on anything and a lot of guys had tried a lot of things and I'd found out sort of the kind of thing some of these horses went through to, to kind of get the job done get a saddle on and get a rider on, you know, from from tying horses in the stable and climbing over the wall onto them to, you know, riders being dropped down on a crane in between two straw bales to sedating horses so much that they were highly wobbly and putting riders on um, with them being heavily sedated and, and of course, shit going wrong in those situations. Um it turned out that those experiences, which were actually traumas, gave much more depth of the of the problems um, than the horses that were maybe actually wild and never experienced humans before. Some of the horses from Australia that never really experienced contact with humans came to you with actually a very clean, natural slate. So you had to understand the horse and you had to build trust and you had to build a connection and you had to build value but it was done very quickly because he didn't have any other previous ideas about what humans meant he didn't have a preconceived idea about a saddle or a rider so you were starting with a clean slate in which you could build a clean set of ingredients and and tools for him to be able to know what it is you're about he'd never had sort of a bad conversation that that was going to affect the way he was going to interact and and learn from you. So that was a big uh, jump for me coming to Europe and then finding, you know, going along the path. And of course, there's racehorses in Australia that had sort of patterns and history, but it's a very different breed of horse than it is to the sort of warm bloods here in Europe. You know, it's my first introduction to the Icelandic horses when I first came to Denmark. That was also quite a big shock in thinking that it was a pony which is a huge mistake, something you also don't say to someone that's riding Icelandic horses <laughs> because it's an Icelandic horse. It's not a pony. Don't get fooled by the size. You know, I remember being in a clinic and, you know, this was an Icelandic horse that was under pressure taking the halter and running away. And I was sort of there explaining and showing what could be done and this is what you had to do and, you know, not reading the situation, taking the horse just that little bit towards the threshold and boom, head down, grab the halter, running off, you know, I'm legging at full length in front of a crowd of people that I'm meant to be presenting this expert clinic to, getting dragged on my face, and not only once, but, you know, having it done four or five times. And it's all those sort of situations that humble you and make you rethink and reconnect. You know, the, the more you learn about horses, we've all heard it, the more you realize what you don't know. So, and I mean, there's many, many horses over the time 
and all of those situations, the ones that challenge you are, of course, the ones that teach you the most. And I really learned from the horses that really challenged me the process of really thinking about what you're doing, being present. Every horse is an individual. You have to treat each horse as an individual. Don't treat it as a case that this horse is rearing, so we do this. This horse is bucking, so we do this. So it's, it's treating it as an individual. And also the horses feel that they are an individual and you are connecting with them on an individual level. You are speaking and working and communicating and having a conversation with them, not a horse that is difficult to get on or a horse that has been bolting off on some people. So those sort of situations and, and, and horses that have really humbled me, um, you know, really taught me the process and the importance of that. It got me to relax. You know, at a certain point, I was very much in a hurry for learning and getting better. And I was hungry to be able to do um, as many horses as I could and did insane amount of hours. It wasn't until later on that I'd heard the quote of, you know, quality, not quantity. Um, but there was those times where you're just <laughs> doing the numbers and you're calling, you know. I remember in Europe being with my good mate Will Rogers at that time in Denmark, you know, we were sort of like, come on, bring us the, the man killer, the worst of the worst. We don't care, you know, who's had it before or what, how bad it is. We can fix it, you know, it's kind of deal. And, yeah, you sort of go through that process of, you know, the horse is really teaching you what it is they need to learn and what is your position and what is the most value you can bring from yourself to help the horse in that situation. So the difficult horses also for me really taught me um, what it, what is the most important thing. It's, of course about helping the person and it's about the combination. Um, but in that time I was thinking about helping the person. How can I get this horse to stop doing what he's doing? Because this is the thing they don't want. They want to suppress that behavior, stop that behavior. You know, the goal was if the horse was rearing, the horse would come and we were succeeding if that horse went back and he never reared again. But of course the real essence of working with the horse and what's really important is that you help the horse and if the horse feels that he's been helped and he has the knowledge and the understanding of how to manage himself in all those situations then all the symptoms and that go away so it was very surface level in the beginning and as you go through the process of difficult horses that often go back and you know, they have a month or they're good for a week or they're good for a year or they're good forever or they behave or they come to a rider that happens to click and story goes well for them you yeah you really learn that yeah you are you are there to help the horse and to give them the information they need i know i didn't answer the question completely correct <laughs> but i just felt that that was a good way to uh it's difficult for me to pick one because i just i'd see them as individuals now i don't see it as okay i had this horse that could really rear and it took me twice as long with that one than every everything else and i don't really ever have a timeline on that i couldn't say how long did did you have that horse in training how long did it take you to get that wild horse relaxed so the wife of the 
man that owned the homestead could ride it. Um, yeah, that's just the perspective and way I look at it now. <laughs>